Filmstruck is the streaming service for fans of great cinema and the exclusive streaming home for the Criterion Collection, featuring a bounty of independent and foreign titles, plus original bonus material. And Filmstruck is now available on Roku. Start your free trial today at filmstruck.com. Hello and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Violet Luca, and I'm the digital producer. 25 years ago, David Lynch concluded his first foray into network primetime television with a furious episode of Twin Peaks that consisted mostly of scenes of violence and screaming, leaving fans of the show hanging. Now, following the similarly irresolute finale of Twin Peaks, The Return, it seemed like a good time to chew over Lynch's 18-hour movie with an expert and discuss how this unique work fits into the rest of his career. I was joined by Dennis Lim, Director of Programming at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and author of David Lynch, The Man from Another Place, to discuss his reactions to what might be the peak of Lynch's career. People who haven't seen this show might want to skip this episode as we do discuss the plot quite a bit. Today we're going to be discussing um, what is undeniably the cinematic event of the year, which is Twin Peaks The Return. And in the spirit of Lynch's work, I want this to be a podcast that leaves room to dream, so to speak. Uh, one that does not against interpretation. Against interpretation. One does that does not be like, uh, uh, you know, the cowboy in uh, Mulholland Drive. That's actually the super ego. That is the most boring thing to me. I don't like the cowboy because he's a super ego. I like that he is a cowboy who speaks slowly, who is very pale. I, I prefer the enigma and the feel and the texture that Lynch gives, to sort of use a lynching phrase. So we're not going to be answering any of your questions. We have no advanced theories on the mystery, so you can go to Reddit for that. There's so many different interpretations of it, which makes it rich, which is why you shouldn't apply just one. Anyway, so Dennis, you wrote a book, of, which I really liked about David Lynch, um, and I thought that your chapters, you know, dealing with uh, Twin Peaks and Fire Walk with me, did a great job of sort of debunking this idea that the show declined and people lost interest because the network forced Frost and Lynch to solve the mystery. And you point out that both Lynch and Frost were working on other things at this very crucial moment. And the people who are left to sort of take care of, you know, take the series in a new, new direction sort of floundered. Um, and also that, you know, in the early 90s audiences really didn't know what to do with the television show that was doing what Twin Peaks was trying to do. And also in the sense that, you know, Twin Peaks was a television show that felt not like a television show shot on a soundstage, but was in a very lived in, tangible place, drawn in part from Lynch's childhood. So I guess, how would you connect this? How would you relate the return to not just the original series or Firewalk with me, but just sort of like the Lynch oeuvre in general? That's a uh, that's a big question. Yes. Um, okay, I think to, to try to relate it to Lynch's body of work, uh, maybe talking about that and not specifically about the original Twin Peaks. Right. I think this is a culmination, you know, and mm -hmm. also a summation. I think like it is one of the things I really love about this is that it is a work that contains um, everything. It contains all of Lynch. I think it encompasses and it deepens a lot of the preoccupations um, that he's wrestled with, you know, 
over 50 years and it has everything it has it has the, the the very particular sort of handcrafted look of his early short films it goes all the way back to that there's so much here that is you know reminiscent of um eraserhead um the you know the sort of like slow motion slapstick of dougie um, I think is to me reminiscent of of of, of um, the Jack Nance character in Eraserhead, and also this like the 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 cosmology of Twin Peaks, which is expanded here. Um, and I lo- I love how like kind of mechanical it is. It has to do with like you know cranks and levers and buttons and things. Yes. And it's in and that and and also it it's the whole thing is almost like um it's like a retrospective work. It's like a self. Yes curated retrospective you could look at it as a self-portrait in a way it's like lynch putting everything in i mean his you know interest in music the way he's curated all those roadhouse bands what he's doing with his visual art his paintings and drawings which have this um very particular you know really icky crude like body horror um and um they're very violent too and i, I think that th- those elements in the return i think remind me more of his paintings than of, of his films yes absolutely um and and of course all his films are i think are in there um not least in the form of of the actors i mean it's like a really i think touching reunion to see him like team up with you know all these actors who have been synonymous with him um mm-hmm. for decades Kyle McLaughlin, Laura Dern, Grace Brisky, you know Naomi Watts. So I think I think um the question of where it sits in relation to Lynch's work it's like an all encompassing kind of retrospective work and I think that's that's amazing. I mean like you know to for him to be able to do something like this at the stage of his career to be given the resources to 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 do something so enormous um and to be operating at i think the height of his powers i think that's really some something quite special yeah absolutely um the question about how it relates to the original (laughs) twin peaks is a complicated one uh i think we chatted a little bit about this before we started recording but i think you know you said you had some apprehension going in you know and I suppose I did as well, but um, I felt right away that I was um, in good hands and that mm-hmm. that Lynch was in absolute control of the material, simply because I think from the first you know hour, the first very early on, this isn't trying to be Twin Peaks, and how could it? I mean, twenty five years is a lot of time. It's a lot of like, yeah. how do you build twenty five years into like the diegetic universe of your narrative? And mm-hmm. I feel you know he's he's not trying to. I think and and to do that would be absurd and it would be obscene in a way. Well, I would take issue with that only in the sense that um, I feel like just based on like the very small negative reaction that I've mm-hmm. seen to this return to the return is just that. And this is this is a line that you cite in your book. Agent Cooper says life is good in Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. And in the return, it is definitely not. It yeah. is like decidedly sour in a way. And I feel like this is maybe something that he has pulled from. I mean, he's always been deeply invested in the American ethos and just like an American character. And he, I think it's partially from experiences that he had while doing the interview project or even the work that his son is doing, you know, sort of like talking to people across the country that there are episodes of the show that deal with veterans who aren't getting their benefits people right. who are struggling the the emotional psychological tolls of the iraq and afghanistan wars and just that people are having a really hard time getting by and mm-hmm. it's not just people in the trailer park and it's like you can't just sort of be someone who works at a 
diner you and have sort of a normal middle class life or even a lower middle class life it's like palpable struggle and so I feel like that is that is an element that um really I think makes the work you know it's very emotional Mm -hmm. or a more emotional than and and in, in a way and darkens it in a way that I think is not palatable to people who are like oh you know it's like the cute quirky uh you know townspeople I, oh I, I agree i totally agree with all that i mean you know i feel the, the original twin peaks i think partakes of a certain nostalgia or at least Absolutely. you know the, the way a lot of lynch's um works from that period are certainly like kind of backward looking in a way right. that, that draws on uh, iconography of an earlier period like blue mm -hmm. velvet um and 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 I think Twin Peaks, which was, the th the, I think, the thing he made right after Blue Velvet. Right. Um, but, yeah, um, The Return is, is not at all interested in nostalgia. And I think it's funny that people are doing all these, like, oh, the cherry pie um, viewing parties. Like, it's like not <laughs> particularly conducive to that. I Hell think. no. <laughs> so uh, this is, uh, and that's one of the things I, I, I uh, immediately, I loved about it. It was very clear from the beginning that this was not interested in nostalgia. Yeah. And I mean, even, but even in the original show, the show goes out of its way to show that there is this darkness in this town. It's just that there's this veneer of like cutesiness. And I feel like, again, part when the show sort of gets away from Lynch or gets away from when it sort of enters into self parody is when it engages in that unquestioningly that that sort of like goofy right. naivete mm -hmm. but you know i think lynch look he isn't a, he isn't a realist i don't no. think he's like a you know and he isn't like a certainly not a social realist but i think he's somebody who has always had his antenna up in some way i think he's mm -hmm. always responding to the culture and i yeah. think the world the america that we see in the return is very fitting for yes. this moment in time for yes. this early 20th, 21st century he's not giving you like cozy Anytown usa mm -hmm. he's giving you these like really fairly bland and anonymous spaces this like it's suburban subdivisions mm -hmm. and you know hotel rooms and office buildings and just these like desolate highways and right so i think that's um that's a choice. Right. That Dougie's home is only identifiable from any other place in the subdivision by a red door. <laughs> right. That is the only thing that this poor limousine driver has to go on. Another character, speaking of the 25 years of change, and the series, you know, begins with him. You know, the actual outside of Cooper being stuck in, I don't know, we guess we could call it the Grey Lodge. I don't know what sort of preferred nomenclature there is for all you Twin Peaks fanatics is, but I ain't using it. Are people it. saying Grey Lodge? I don't I know. haven't heard. Who I don't knows? Know, it's a weird like 20s thing where the, the, the fireman slash giant is oh, in. Oh, right. Yeah. Is like, that not in the White I don't, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. know. Like, because the original White Lodge was so bad. Whereas like the, right. <laughs> we don't have to talk <laughs> about it. That's another, again, one of the many uh, times where Lynch was off doing like post-production work at Wild Heart. But anyway, um, the first glimpse of Twin Peaks that we get is with Dr. Amp, another right. character who has been split into two, so to speak, where he's, you know, he was Dr. Jacoby, Laura's uh, psychologist in the original series. And now he's this sort of amalgamation of Dr. Phil and Alex Jones. Yeah. And, but he's still through the absurdity. And again, this is like what Lynch is amazing at. I mean, aside from all these levers and pulleys and this weirdly mechanical live stream that he does on the <laughs> internet. Mm -hmm. 
where there's like a hunter watching it on an iPad, which is both, which seems absurd, but actually that's really the market for iPads. It's like <laughs> older people who don't like computers. But anyway, Dr. Amp, as absurd as he is, is the agent of real change. Like the one sort of storyline that is resolved from the original show, the unrequited love between Norma and Big Ed and like... Because of Dr. Amp's encouragement to shovel yourself out of this shit, mm-hmm. Nadine is just like, you know what? I'm good with my silent drape runners. <laughs> and I it's like only David Lynch could do that. Only him. I think that's a, that was a great that that was the first our first glimpse oh, of, yeah. of Twin Peaks. Um, oh, yeah. And also for it to not be clear at all what what I, what is going on. Like oh, no. you don't know about the shovels and all that until no. like much later on. I think that was one of the uh, for me one of the the great like the great charm of the series was like mm-hmm. the way, you know, I mean, I'm sure people have talked about this, the, the way it, it takes its time is I think pretty radical. I, I'm, I don't know that I've really seen duration used this way until in television. No. Um, and that, yeah, that, that was something I loved about it too. Yeah. Clearly there's something bizarre happening with time in the actual show itself in terms of like, and we don't have to get into theories as to why that might be, but the chronology is sort of scrambled in these moments that are would otherwise be sort of elided by other popular cinema, you know, normal network TV. They get really drawn out and the way in which um, certain things are just overexplained, even though they're plainly obvious, like Sheriff Truman. That's is uh, Harry Truman's brother. Right. <laughs> like it's just over and over, over and over, and over again, yeah. yeah. Which is just so um, funny to me. I think it's, it's, it's telling that this was, you know, initially announced as a nine-hour project Mm -hmm. based on what I gather was like something like a 400-page script that Lynch and Frost delivered to Showtime and I think this was a time he was you know sort of like not briefly not involved in playing hardball with Showtime and like you know really wanting the the budget and the resources um, to make what he wanted and what he got was basically he doubled the running time yeah Um, not like he wrote like another 400 pages but I think just that I think that's kind of a big part of what makes the return what it is is mm-hmm. and it's it's not just about taking the time i think now you know if you've seen the, the the whole thing in its entirety it's clear that they knew exactly what they were doing it's very mapped out i yeah. mean it, the, in terms of its it, its structure it, you know it, it it there is a there is an arc yeah. um but they also you know carved out all these like spaces you know for, to just to just revel in, to go off on tangents. Um, mm-hmm. And it's so strange to watch this on television because any kind of television, I mean, what you know, however, so, quote unquote, experimental or like, you know, forward thinking, this there's always just this forward motion. Like it, yeah. it always has to, you, you always have to, you know, get through something and get on to the next week. And, mm-hmm. and that, to watch the return and not have that sense of forward motion, to have it completely vanish is... Uh, I found it really mesmerizing. The yeah. stillness of 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 this show was uh was was pretty radical, and you know Lynch is so smart in terms of how he uses duration. I think a lot of the comic effects come from that. Come from like just stretching things out, from repeating things, yes. and it's comic and it's also like unnerving, which is mm-hmm. of course like a signature Lynch effect. Is for both of those things to 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 coexist, mm-hmm. and it allows him to really take his time yeah. um, with all these people who are dying. You know, yes. I, feel, I think that's that's an, another incredibly moving aspect of it. There's so many log lady scenes. Mm-hmm. How many times does she call Hawk? I mean, it just, 
that is like a really moving gesture uh, yeah. on Lynch's part. Like, you know, to just this wanting to linger and to spend time with these people who are nearing the end of their lives. Yeah, since the beginning, since even before Eraserhead with a lot of the shorts that he was doing, you know, she has been a major collaborator with Lynch. And so to like say goodbye to her in this way is like incredibly moving right i mean and you know the same with harry dean stanton and even mm -hmm. you know people who miguel ferrer miguel ferrer people who died after the warren frost and you know yeah. amazing skype call yeah um, yeah in that in sheriff truman's amazing desk yeah <laughs> but this is so this is another reason yeah the, you know to, i think this i think this is nothing short of miraculous that lynch was able to do this and he was able to yes. round up all these people at the very end of their lives like this would you know he he you know got to them just before they died in in in, in Catherine Colson's case and yeah. you know Harry Dean of course yeah but also i think it's worth talking about the things that he did with people who had already passed away i was just reading an interview with Lynch today where he's talking about the um it's not actually a teapot that uh david <laughs> bowie's david character yeah. is inside it is a uh, it's just supposed to be a machine that he's it's not inside a teapot. okay yeah cuz okay. apparently he said he's like oh, i would have made it a little bit more straight if you know would have made the nose a little bit different if i had known people would see it that way but it's just supposed to be a machine even though it does look exactly like a teapot <laughs> <laughs> and it emits steam i haven't really read many lynch interviews um they're always about, bad well no i'm well, not always bad you know, but they're always they're consistent yeah <laughs> like you know uh and I, I i kind of enjoyed the I think I wrote I don't know, it was EW or something that was yes. one from last week. Um, it was it was great. It was perfectly opaque. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, well, I love how they just transcribe. It's like silence refuses to answer. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> again, they want to cover the base of like, look, we asked, we did try and ask. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what's really interesting about, in some ways, you know, I don't know, Twin Peaks is credited with like i don't know create like this this whatever <laughs> prestige tv or whatever people call it like you know um but what i i do think it's true that what it did um sort of create in in, in some ways is this sort of um this 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 communal like decoding like this this yes. this that, that is something that definitely was happening around the original twin peaks with this early days of bulletin boards and and, and all that it's interesting to see in the return to Lynch and Frost's sort of relationship with this interpretive community that's formed yeah. around Twin Peaks. In some ways, it's really generous because it, it throws, it's very willing and, you know, to really game about like just this developing and expanding the mythology of Twin Peaks, which is like where where all the mysteries are and where, what people, you know, latch onto in, in, in these kinds of like dissections. Um, right. But it's also so withholding and so indifferent and like there's, it, yes. there's no... It really, you really have to do a lot of like connecting the dots, and which people, some people seem willing to, and I think some people maybe are are, are not. Um, you know, I think I I think some people even just expecting this to offer any kind of closure in any conventional sense, I think is crazy. If you've seen the last thirty years of Lynch's films, they really go out of their way to deny to to not give you you know a certain kind of narrative closure. Right. We were talking before this, the way in which he achieves that non-closure in the final episode of this season is just, it's hard for me to talk about because it is so chilling and just totally unexpected. And it's mostly, you know, Cooper driving, but it's still 
goes by and not really talking to anybody he but you know it but it goes by so quickly mm-hmm. and i almost I, I can't really bring myself to rewatch it even though i've rewatched you know most of the episodes twice a few of them three times and i and you know and again talking about duration i would watch them once and then i would watch them again later in the week and then even just going back and rewatching them now have after having seen the whole thing it just has this completely different texture i can't even describe it anyway it just has a completely different feeling and just like it's so i guess modular in that mm-hmm. way we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back now you can stream critically acclaimed films and cult favorites from the world's greatest film libraries with filmstruck filmstruck is the streaming service for fans of great cinema and the exclusive streaming home for the criterion collection filmstruck brings you a bounty of independent and foreign titles updated weekly plus original bonus material and expert commentary. And Filmstruck is now available on Roku. Start your free 14-day trial today at filmstruck.com. Yeah, I mean, the you know, the two-hour finale is interesting in that it, I guess it offers you, like, some, this this almost, like, parody of closure. And, yeah. And, and, you know, like, in episode 17 with, like, the forces of good congregating at the sheriff's station yes. with this completely preposterous like um Cockney. With the, the, yeah <laughs> with the glove <laughs> the glove i have to say that that i don't love that 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 was I maybe don't. the one character i yeah I'm, I, not, I'm not uh i mean we've been talking about how great it is but there are parts of the show that i don't think worked as well you yeah know? and they're in their parts and it's like it's not in a totally pure pleasure thing for me mm-hmm. because there are parts you know like the idea that episode eight contains a very long performance by the nine inch nails not crazy about that <laughs> i'm not so crazy about that you know there are parts of the uh, gray lodge that purple world where mm-hmm. things sort of happen i i understand that it is very important whatever is happening there but i'm not yeah, i feel like I he could have imagined that a little bit more gracefully like the the purple world where cooper originally sort of falls out into after being kicked out of the black light that's great but the actual place where like the firemen and that um jazz age lady live not crazy about that yeah <laughs> i know i know what you mean but i'm not you know i i came to i think if not love or even like her i I can accept everything exactly i also (laughs) am filled with like this sense of as i was saying earlier you know gratitude and awe that this thing even exists that i'm not going to nitpick too much hell no and i also (laughs) like that this like this guy with the terrible cockney accent and the gardening green glove like you know it was so clearly used as a device Mm -hmm. like in a very self-conscious way that it was you know and and what was great about that was like i thought there was I think some people were saying, like, "Oh, we should have ended there." Like, who in the Ooh. world would want it to end it, uh, to end there? And I, I think it was in you know, in some ways, it's such an unsatisfying climax and mm-hmm. ending that it precipitates like the rest of it, the of remaining course. like hour and a half. Like, yeah. it, it's so, and of course, the you know, with the Cooper's head sort of superimposed over the proceedings, mm-hmm. um, immediately lending us, you know the sense of like something being off kilter as it's happening. Exactly. Yeah. So this idea of of of, of of closure it's ludicrous is but you know i think also yeah it's it's ludicrous but also you know it's 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 about that you mm-hmm. know it's about like what what the in the same way that i think um you know Mulholland drive and inland empire and, and lost highway the, these films are in some ways about how for lynch at least i don't think he's a natural storyteller but i think he's mm-hmm. somebody who's he was, who is interested in how narratives operate on a metaphysical level, yes. how you keep a story alive, 
and how stories can take on a life of their own and how you know and what they do to us and and i feel like that's what he's kind of playing with in 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 17 and 18 um yeah i also f- i i did rewatch a few episodes in preparation to, you know, for the podcast but i i started 18 but i, I couldn't I also couldn't bring myself to watch the whole thing because I kind of just wanted it to, yeah, to just exist as a, as a very haunting <laughs> memory for a while before I, before I go back to it. Yeah. And again, it, you know, as we said before we started recording, sorry, every listener, <laughs> we have to preface all these comments with that, but like it really does recreate the shock and the complete unease of the season two ending which you know formerly was my favorite hour of television before this Mm -hmm. and it but it doesn't in a completely different way and what you're alluding to with cooper's head it's superimposed over the you know the ostensible happy ending and then immediately going off on another adventure another bigger adventure it would be great to talk about how he uses special effects because this is the same visual effects team that did enter the void Enter the void. oh i didn't know that Yes, oh. it's like a French company, but then well, the also... Ga- the Gaspar Noé film? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? But anyway, uh, you can use visual effects for anything, um, as this show illustrates. But he also clearly did a lot of things himself with, in terms of like, you know, when Cooper is pulled through, even before he's pulled through the socket, where he's flying through space, falling through space, and ends up in that weird tank in New York. Um <laughs> Which, another thing that is completely unresolved, who owns that building, who is Mm -hmm. funding this insane (laughs) apparition entrapment project, Uh, you know, the, but, but he uses these effects in such, these very crude effects in such moving and scary, and again, it's like the absurdity of the one-armed man in the original, the idea that there's something plucked from uh you know an old tv show from the 50s it's the one-armed man's fault but he takes that and he turns it into something completely unexpected and his own and like these visual effects are just so i don't don't know versatile and what they and what he achieves with them but they're also super crude yeah this reminds me of his his early shorts in some ways um the I like how primitive the effects are, yeah. you know, and I think, you know, it makes me think of what he was saying about um, Inland Empire, which mm-hmm. is crude in, in, in another way, using very, you know, this, this, um, you know, consumer grade video to shoot. And, and something that Lynch said was that it reminded him of like early, early cinema, yeah. you know, and I think like this is in some way, I mean, you think of, you look at some of his early shorts, I think they're reminiscent of that. They mm-hmm. kind of have this like very straightforward early movie magic kind of quality you know and and, um i find that quite charming and just one element in the toolkit for him in terms of how he's using the effects i i think i've read some people say that like they're they're, you know they that they don't they don't like how they're used they look really cheap but but yeah that's the point yeah it's (laughs) it's okay yeah (laughs) but i mean it's it is it is i mean i just sort of dismiss that criticism but i mean it was interesting to see people who really loved Inland Empire, but then had a totally allergic reaction to this. Hmm. And I, and I, and again, it's like, I, for what d- reason do you think? Why, I, why has it been? I think it is because those first two, it was specifically after the first two episodes. And I think it is because at least there was an anchor with Laura Dern and some sem- semblance of a narrative and something 
you could quickly, I mean, relatively quickly grasp onto and be like, okay, this is, this is roughly the world that we're dealing with. But in those first two episodes, there's just not really anything. Mm. It's like, it's like a very, um, I don't know, like polyvocal uh, introduction to what the rest of the series is going to do. And again, like I said, watching them now after seeing the whole thing, it's like, oh, okay, this makes total sense. It has a um, sense of coherence that, you know, like when first watching it or even watching it the same week after they aired, it just felt like it, I was just in awe. Right. I was just like totally drawn in. And I was I was experiencing pleasure in a different way, let's mm-hmm. say. And I think some people really need or like enjoy. It. And again, there's so much shit out there that if you like narrative, a very, <laughs> you know, a sort of conventional experimental narrative, that's fine. Yeah, it's certainly it, it's not carved up the way, you know, any kind of episodic television is. I mean, no. like, it's not like every episode has to, you know, I think there are episodes where. I may be wrong because I haven't rewatched, but like certain like subplots are dropped and then picked up like an episode or two or three later. Like yes. so there's no, it's it doesn't obey those rules. And I feel like for people to talk to even mention prestige television in the same sentence as Twin Peaks is the return, especially is yeah. so ridiculous. I don't, I'm not is. saying this as like a film snob or whatever, but no. I I think what Lynch is doing here has very little relationship to all of television and almost all of cinema anyway. So I think, oh, yeah. and you know, maybe you can think of like out one or Berlin Alexander Platz and like, you know, filmmakers making long form things for television. Um, but like, it's, this doesn't really, I, even good television, even, mm-hmm. you know, really good television. And I say, this is somebody who, I mean, I, I thought the leftovers was great this year and it's like a really Lynchian series, but mm-hmm. like that was operating within the, parameters of television very exactly. clearly this was completely disregarding and, and you know and it's it's um even all the roadhouse sequences like the you know he used them like just because he needed ways to end episodes it wasn't like he was going to no it was it was that again it was that illusion of resolution yeah. and then the idea that at the very or second to last scene in the roadhouse that all of that is just the rug of how you understand that it's completely pulled out from underneath you and it's just audrey horn screaming right and you have again you have no idea where she is. We are not going to try and answer where she is. <laughs> but like, again, it's it's that false sense of this is an easy resolution. This is something you can hold on to. I mean, you could always count on there being at least one scene at the roadhouse per episode. But this sort of interminable catnip of these different characters sort of coming in and yeah. talking about random people that you never see. Again, misleading, but rich. And yeah. And I think a lot of it, again, is like because he has this 18-hour canvas to yeah. work with that, you know, he's doing that. You know, we talked about what he's doing with duration, but what he's doing, the, the size of this, of the canvas here, I think allows him to really like heighten the sort of uncanny effects. Yeah. You know, because like the, you know, this Lynchian universe, which is always very susceptible to like all kinds of cosmic disruptions and like time and space. And mm-hmm. I think with the world being so big, you know, like, stretched out over in, in 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 the universe of the return i think things become even more unnerving because like there's all these like liminal spaces everywhere you don't yeah. you know and and uh i think he he really works that i think to to brilliant effect yeah yeah and that you never know where you are yeah up until the very end and at the end it's just like well where have we been the whole time that yeah. we've been watching twin peaks who's to say uh, the ending i think you know it's we're talking about it like it's just this Maybe we should talk. Maybe we should talk a little bit about the ending. Bec- the the you know the the. Actually, before that, can we okay. talk about Sarah Palmer and what sure. is she watching on TV? Because again, that's like a great. 
that is something that is both overtly nasty, where she's watching lions devour a zebra or something. She's watching boxing matches. She's only getting out of the house to go on, like, booze runs. She's always either confused, under threat, or attacking. And it's this very sad liminal existence and you know it it, the way that the series ends it leaves it very ambiguous as to what exactly is happening with Mm -hmm. sarah or if she's even sarah anymore or whatever but it's um yeah i I do love what he does with these returning characters you know with audrey with sarah yes and certainly some of them you know like shelly and norma sort of continue their existence but even there i think something seems slightly off Mm -hmm. um and but you know i think what he's done with them sarah the sarah palmer she doesn't appear until pretty late i think right but what it's it's more than worth the wait and how she fits in how she's been sort of like sort of roped into the the mythology of the show is which is also like something that is very unnerving and and ambiguous yeah I mean, and she's so great i mean grace abriski oh, yeah. is so astonishing yeah um, but as always but i feel like she's just this quintessential lynchian actor because of like the richness of the performance like it's funny at the same time, it was just absolutely terrifying. Um, and very and sad. Yeah, and very sad. The original series, and even parts of this series, weirdly, uh, you know, even though everyone's smart now and can totally decode television, you know, was, you know, the original series was taken to task for being misogynist, you know, and being sent around this, centered around the death of this girl who is just an object, and that there's no real reckoning with that violence. And to me, so much of, like, what makes Twin Peaks utterly unique and very moving is that it's totally wrapped up in dealing with the consequences of this death Mm -hmm. of this loss and that you know the enormity of that is played out with what we see you know sarah's life you know as we see it you know in the original she was usually like screaming or crying or just trying to barely keeping it together and now it's just like there's not even a semblance of that and it's such a profound statement on violence is not something you know that is um I don't know, inconsequential. It's some, It's not something that's necessarily funny. It's not something that you can just do to a person. The yeah, way he, it's he, usually portrayed on television, uh, let's right. say. I, he, he takes it seriously. How could, yeah. I mean, he takes it deadly seriously. Yes, I mean, and, yes. you know, it, he comes back to it. That's what it ends on. That's what he, cho- after mm-hmm. all these, like, other strands that come up, I mean, he chooses to end with, with Laura. You yeah. know, the last two, again, um, the last two episodes. Um but I guess what I was going to say about the last episode is that as astonishing as it was as an experience to watch, as like just blindsiding and like surprising and haunting, mm-hmm. it's also, I think, so brilliantly like in keeping with Lynch. In some ways, it's like a signature move. What, you know, what I guess what I was thinking about um, how it connects to his other films and you know what's going on at the end seems to be like this crazy desperate desire on cooper's part to like rewrite the past yes which is the story of lost highway it's a story of mulholland drive it's a story of vertigo which of course is the film that you know is so important to lynch and that he's in some way been riffing on uh you know over and over well it's Um, also something that the one-armed man tries to do 
right. in the in fire walk with me and he's too late right. and cooper is not too late but it is a futile gesture which is but like, the question about futility is also interesting because if you look at you know think about lost highway and Mahalandra, and even like um blue velvet which is like a, an attempt a desperate attempt to restore order you yes know, to unsee you know and undo things mm -hmm. um all these films like suggest that these things fail right but yes. these Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive, these are like, you know, attempts to reenact something that fail. Mm -hmm. But like, does Cooper fail here? I'm not sure he does. He does in some ways undo, you know, and I think what's so terrifying here in The Return is that I think he's pushed, Lynch has pushed through to some other side to something else. Cooper doesn't fail here. I think he succeeds and that's what's terrifying. I mean, he has undone something in Mulholland Drive, the Naomi Watts character. She can undo it. You know, right. it's a tragedy. Right. Um, in Lost Highway, you know, the Bill Pullman character the same. And I feel like some something different has happened here in but within this very same within the within this very Lynchian like, you know, desire to like revisit and rewrite the past. And, or and restore order. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like he's I wouldn't say he's restored order, but he did, has succeeded in rewriting the past. I think it's the first time that's happened in, in, in the Lynch, at least that I can think of. Um in, and um and maybe that's why it's so chilling. Yeah, but I don't even know whether or not we live inside a dream. That seems to lend itself to by driving 430 miles and going to this place. Is he just entering a dream? And is he becoming the dreamer? And he's just dreaming that he was successful and then, oh, it turns into a nightmare. Like, again, it's like there's so many different ways to interpret yeah. this. It's a wonderful it, it, you know, it's beyond wonderful because you can see it in all those different ways at the same time. And you mm -hmm. can also be like, well, actually, this is just Laura Palmer's dream. And she dreams of a world where somebody actually cares that she is being abused by her father and does something about it. And people really care about her and understand her. It's, you know, I'm getting yeah. goosebumps we're thinking not gonna, about We're it. not going to try to answer those Hell questions. No. But, yeah. And, and, and as you said, I think it's 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 great that, 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 that people are, are doing that. Um, yeah. But I... I'm us. quite I'm quite happy <laughs> to for to not to not fully understand you know no. and I think and I think not fully understanding again is part of where the power of you know a long form work like Twin Peaks it, it even though you know there are some really just eye-wateringly bad parts of the second season you still stay with it to, to up, you know up to a certain point because it does have this sense of mystery and it is a very primal thing to want to sort of understand more or look behind the curtain and see what's actually going on and and that's why anybody finds his work appealing is because it is constantly moving that curtain or shifting things around and making it not entirely clear we can end it there yes <laughs> <laughs> uh, me rambling but before we end it would be great if we could both say a film that we've seen recently that we liked i'll just talk about faces places the great agnes varda returns with a guy who seems like he would be super annoying but is not they drive around france in a cute little uh camera van take photos of people there's nothing not to love i guess i'll go with lucrecia martel's zama mm -hmm. um which is probably my favorite film of this year um i didn't i don't know if i saw it recently i rewatched it recently um uh and um her first film in nearly 10 years she's you know it's her fourth feature only, but I think she's she's one of the greats. Uh, a truly brilliant filmmaker, a really different kind of film for her. Historical drama based on um, sort of a classic 
Argentinian novel, um, and she totally redefines the genre. I don't really want to say any more. The book is great. I actually just read the book as well, um, and um, really excited that she's back. Yeah, another work by a master filmmaker that uh, plays with time, <laughs> so yes, to speak. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, good. Let's end with that. Yes. Well, thank you. This thank is wonderful. You. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast, sponsored by Filmstruck. Filmstruck is the streaming service for fans of great cinema and the exclusive streaming home for the Criterion Collection, featuring a bounty of independent and foreign titles, plus original bonus material. And Filmstruck is now available on Roku. Start your free trial today at filmstruck.com. The Film Comment Podcast is produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Rapold and edited by Michael Odmark. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth reviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine, or check out our app, available on Android and iOS, at filmcomment.com slash app. Film Comment, at the heart of film culture for over 50 years.